0: One might suppose that in this modern age, dominated by the remarkable accomplishments of science, the ancient world of the occult would be dying out. Instead, many occult beliefs and practices seem to be thriving. Gary Shepard has a report. Despite all efforts at debunking, many mature, well-educated people consult psychics and witches. This young lady is consulting a psychic and the fortune-telling tarot cards to decide where she should resume her college training.
1: I know the rift is in your eyes What are you trying?
2: Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as
1: well as virtually. I'm your host Jim Branscombe and
2: joining me as always is...
1: Hey, what's going on? It's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures on social media. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. But yeah, anyway, man, what's going on? What are we talking about today?
2: Well... We keep talking about how we're going to do this, you know, Freddy's knockoff episode. And we even got to the point that I loaned you the two movies we'll be talking about. And we didn't have time to record,
1: watch them, any of that shit. Of course, you're talking about Freddy Got Fingered. Yep. Freddy's Not Dead. Mm -hmm. Is that a name of a movie? It is, but it's actually a Freddy (laughs) Krueger movie.
2: (laughs) Uh, So we wouldn't be doing that one. Freddy's... uh... Anyway, go on. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, we, we'll eventually get to that when we actually get, we'll we'll talk about why we haven't had time to do like a more like discussing films episode and we've been doing a lot more of like talking shit and talking about the upcoming cinematic void lineups and stuff. But you know, for this episode we're gonna go over the April lineup at the Lost Feelers three. But I also think before we do that, we'll kinda recap some things that have been going on and circle back as to why we haven't been doing more traditional episodes as of late, which mostly has to do with time and our schedules and being busy as fuck. So, you know, recently it's, you know, midway March as we're recording this and been doing the March movie madness lineup, which has been fucking killing it at the Lost Fields three sold out both matinee and popcorn and coming up on Monday as we're recording this anguish is getting close to sell out and targets will definitely be sold out by the mm-hmm. end of the month. So looking at at least three out of the four selling out. Um, should mention Joe Dante came out for Mad fucking great Q and a cool incredible Q and a he showed up like maybe halfway through cause he's like didn't want to watch it. But once he got in there and was able to watch it with the audience, he kind of was touched. He's like, wow. He's like, where were you people back in like 93, 94? And someone's like, I wasn't born yet. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like most of the audience hadn't seen Mad but, you know, Joe's credible filmmaker, you know, credible lover of film. He said some really nice things about the movie-going experience that we've talked about repeatedly on the podcast, and I'm going to just drop in a little quote he said from that Q&A here.
1: Movies that made us care were the ones that we saw with an audience, and, you know, no matter how old you are, no matter how far you want to go back, I mean, you have experiences about seeing movies that involved getting up out of your chair, going to the movie theater, having the having the experience, leaving, talking about the movie with your friends. It, it, it was it was an experience. It wasn't just a channel change. And I think that the whole idea of like theaters like this, and you know, the the cinema and. All the other theaters that are running movies for people to see uh, are essential to the, the, the future of movies. So that was
2: Joe Dante, director matinees, as well as Gremlins, The Howling, Small Soldiers, um, Interspace, Piranha, Hollywood Boulevard, all kinds of fucking classics. Like, I, I kind of feel like Joe might be heading towards his, like, John Carpenter moment. Because, like, maybe, like, a decade ago, like, John Carpenter was, like, you know, oh, well, he made Halloween, love, but, like, now John Carpenter's, like, on this whole other plane. And I'm kind of happy to see, like, filmmakers of that era kind of getting their flowers. Yeah. In a substantial way. Not just, like, hey, you were a great filmmaker. You made cool movies in the 80s. They're like, no. Here are your fucking flowers. Your movies are fucking timeless. Let's elevate you. hmm So kind of – I'm not saying, you know – You know, Joe's just a director. John also was a music composer and that kind of stuff. But it's nice to see filmmakers that, like, was probably beloved by both of us growing up who kind of got, you know, grinded up in the Hollywood system a little bit. Mm -hmm. Come back and, you know, get the shine again and get to, like, enjoy their career and how meaningful it actually was for a lot of people to watch those films. So that's good stuff. Also showed popcorn with um actor Jill Sholin. That's another really good Q&A. Jill was really sweet, even though she was, like, tired. She's like, I ah, just, I think it was the time change or whatever. Mm-hmm. Blame everything on fucking daylight savings time or whatever. The, is it daylight savings? What do what we call this? It's set clocks back or forward or whatever.
1: We sprung forward. Sprung forward and... Because it's sprung, sprung time.
2: Sprung time, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Which leads us to, like, that happened on a Sunday before popcorn. On the Saturday before the time skipped an hour and everyone lost an hour of sleep. My dumbass. Well, not my dumbass. Because I didn't pick the day. So I can't take credit for doing a marathon leading up to, like, springing forward. But was the Seven Deadly Sins Marathon. And last episode, we couldn't really talk about it because all the movies were a secret. And I guess we could, you know, talk about it now. You were in the projection booth for how many of the movies?
1: Uh the final f- three or four. Okay. I have to think about it for a moment, but at least 3, maybe 4. Um when I, bo- I got there, uh it was just starting up joysticks. Starting
2: up joysticks, so you came back right at the um after the dinner break.
1: No, I was there for the one before. It was the one before it- That was a Fun House. I ran Fun House, yes. Okay, so you ran
2: <laughs> you 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 run the last four out of the, Okay. Cool. You know the right ra- the, the back half of mm-hmm. the marathon. So, I, I guess we'll talk about it. Like, you know, I think there were certain expectations like ticket sales wise and I'll just be the first to admit that it probably underperformed slightly. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a couple reasons. One, it's in Santa Monica. Two, there's a certain segment of people who don't like daytime marathons. They want to do overnight. Three, none of the movies were
1: announced. It was damn overnight enough.
2: Yeah, it, I mean, it got done just shy 1 a.m. Which was the advertised end time. And I was like, nah, probably be like anywhere from 15 minutes to a half hour later. But no, ended right on fucking time. And that was even like with sketches and little video interludes. Like Deanna Rooney, shout out Deanna, who's done stuff with Cinemass Movie and has done stuff at like Lost Fields 3. She came out and like basically we did a sketch in front of almost every movie. I think Joystick, she just kind of handed out Severn grab bags. Cool. And yeah, it was. It was, you know, despite everything, I'm glad I got a chance to do this. Even though, like, I did run into some, you know, when you're doing a marathon, they're expensive to put on. So I had a budget I had to be within. And there was a couple movies that I had originally had planned that I thought I could get. Ended up having to drop out for various reasons. But I think the lineup was pretty fun. I think the only thing, like, second-guessing-wise, and this is just me second-guessing, is, like, I probably wouldn't have done Halloween 3. But, but I had to pick a, I had to pick quick and like, you know, universal, like for flat fees was the cheapest Mm -hmm. and staying within a budget. So something for, keep in mind for all you film programmers and stuff, it's like, you know, you gotta be money conscious because you gotta be able to make money back. You can show all the greatest movies in the world in a marathon, but like. If it's really expensive and you can't make your money back, you won't be showing too many more movies after that. Right. But should but talk. Oh, what you going to say?
1: Well, real quick, though. So let's name them. Yeah. It was Warriors.
2: Yep, the Warriors, which was a... I don't think anyone saw that one coming. Nice. And I, I love the Warriors, and I've been wanting to watch it in a the theater again. And it was... It played like gangbusters. Like, most of the audience hadn't seen it. Or maybe not most... But there was a good section of the audience who hadn't seen the Warriors, so after everyone was on like a real big high after watching the Warriors, what do I do? I show a fucking grimy sleazy really nasty Italian film beyond the Darkness directed by Jody motto it 's got necrophilia it's got like hints of just weird shit going on in it, first of two kinda you know movies that involve someone getting a bad hand job not that i was trying to do that as a theme but there's a lot of secret themes in when here it, what it happens when it happens it, it was the italian language print I ended up playing and it definitely like oh it definitely broke some people which is good because it's like you're gonna weed out the <laughs> you're gonna weed out the weaklings so to speak and then because i was nice i did halloween 3 and halloween 3 was like kind of a last minute like addition to it and part of it was just like so Deanna and I could do this dumb bit where she would play me and I would play Dom Atkins I mean it was truly great (laughs) (laughs) true I mean Halloween 3 played great with a crowd but it's a movie that's played a lot and it's just like you know I originally was going to be Neon Maniacs and the only reason Neon Maniacs didn't go in there because the the archive that has the only print of Neon Maniacs wasn't loaning out prints right now so it was completely off the table like there was no way of getting it so so once neon maniacs dropped out had another film which was going to be um it was going to be the boys next door which severin had the rights to and i talked to severin they thought they still had the film print but they actually had shifted off and that was at agfa too so i didn't have access to
1: that (laughs) oh okay
2: and then it, it just came down the wire, and like it had to be Universal Film, and I kind of flip flopped between doing Three O'clock High or Halloween Three, and I was just like,
1: you know, Halloween I, Three is just going to play better.
2: It's going to play better. I love Three O'clock High. In mm-hmm. like in retrospect, and like second guessing myself, it's like maybe I should have done Three O'clock High, okay. but like, but. You don't know, you know, you don't know how it plays and it unfolds. And then after Halloween three was the fun house, which I didn't originally get the show on film when I showed it. So played the nice universal print, had a little bit of a dinner break and then came back for joysticks, which I knew was going to divide the crowd. You're either all in or all out on joysticks. (laughs) No doubt. It's like, it's uh, my friend of the void, Mike Felix kind of put it best. It's a, it's one of the funniest comedies where none of the jokes land. (laughs) <laughs> like, for a sex comedy. It's just, like... But that's kind of the charm of it. And then you have, like, John Grease, you know, Uncle Rico as King Vidiot, which I think is... I, I think people probably know him as, like, you know, Uncle Rico, but I always think of him as King Vidiot because it's such a fucking great role. And then you have Joe Don Baker just, you know, being Joe Don Baker. And, like, again, it ain't a movie for everyone. It's pretty fucking juvenile and all that. But, like, there's there's just something about it. That, like, I love and I can't justify it beyond anything, which is going to come in play later for the last movie. Um, after joysticks, we showed Silent Rage, the good old Chuck Norris, and probably my favorite sketch of the night that we did with Deanna. Deanna came out as Charles Bronson. Originally, we were going to make this big deal about how like wrong Chuck, but then like the bit was just me just yelling wrong Chuck at her, and she just turned around and the Charles Bronson <laughs> left. Like, <laughed. laughs> like, that was my probably my favorite of the weirdo bits. Although the giant box of popcorn she was for the funhouse was just <laughs> fucking absurd. Like no one knew what the fuck was going on. She also played Luther from the Warriors and did the bottle clanking on the figures. He's like, "Jimmy,
1: come out and play."
2: And she was the black love killer for um Beyond the Darkness as a joke because one to give the expectation that we were going to show a giallo and no intention of it all. Sweet. Lots of misdirection. And speaking of Italian films, the final film of the night is one of the greatest achievements in cinema, which is Burial Ground. Which, again, probably alienated half the audience. You're either all in or all out with Burial Ground. And, of course, Deanna came out and played Michael, who's portrayed in the movie by dwarf actor Peter Bark. Someone said, like, I was wondering why they had a dwarf play the kid in this movie. And then, about, you know, ten minutes in, I realized, oh, that's why. But Burial Ground is, like... It's a wild experience, and I've I saw nothing but five-star or one-star reviews for it on Letterboxd. <laughs> it's a, definitely a great divider. <laughs> yeah. It's also funny, because when you're running, you kind of freaked out, because the last reel was like, there's a giant like black mm-hmm. bar on the side. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And yeah. just I've seen Burial Ground a couple of different prints. We use Bob Morawski from Grindhouse Releasing's print of this, but I've also seen Harry Grower's print and um, Phil Blankenship from the New Beverly has one. He was asking me, he's like, "Does your, does last reel of the print you show have that giant black bar on the side?" I'm like, "Yep, yep." So what that is is that when they were striking prints, they misframed it. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's a giant fucking black bar on the side. It's wild. All theatrical prints of Burial Ground have it. Hmm. Strange. But, you know, it was a long day. My girlfriend, Leslie, flew in from Maryland. She actually came out, and we'll talk about some of this later in rewatch. But listen, she came out for... Well, she didn't come out for a specific but She went through Irreversal with me, and I saw you there. And homie, friend of the void, Nikolai, was there. Which we'll talk about more of how he's going to end up on an FBI-like list at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Very much. But, um... Yeah, she came out, she watched I mean, I skip. we skipped the fun house, we went out to dinner, and that was kind of the movie I planned on skipping. Not no disrespect to the funhouse, but I was more interested in watching the other stuff. And I was like, I wanted to have a long break. And plus like, you know. That's probably the I, that's the probably the first marathon in years outside of skipping funhouse that I sat through from start to finish. Yeah. Like I, I think the last time well, no, that's not true. Um, when I did January the January Jalo Giallo thon back in 2020 in the pre the pre-end of days days, that was pro- well, that was also a daytime one. I I'm going to stand by that I like daytime marathons. Yeah. I don't like overnight ones. I'm just too old for that shit. Mm-hmm. It's like when it's like 5 a.m., it's like cuz I think back in my 20s and how I did it is just like, you know, it was fun, but now like in my 40s, fuck that shit. Yeah. I know some people feel the exact opposite, but it's like, you know, get, you know, getting out of movie theater at 1 a.m. and getting back to Hollywood from Santa Monica at, like, one thirty and just crawling in the bed. Beautiful. You know? It was, you know? But I, I think overall it was successful, but, like, at some point, because that was the seven-year anniversary of Cinematic Boyd, people were like, what are you going to do? Like, I think Mike Felix is, like, seven more years, and, like, I can't imagine, like, doing this for another seven or whatever. And which, I don't know, is one of those things you start thinking about your mortality or program mortality. And probably not the episode to get into it, but like it, you know, had some thoughts about it afterwards. But, you know, overall, it's like people seem to have a good time, except for the people who probably really didn't like joysticks or burial ground. Mm -hmm. But and beyond the darkness, I guess I I put three polarizing movies in a marathon. So maybe Halloween three was the right call. Yeah. I think so. You got to throw in a crowd pleaser. Throw in a crowd pleaser. I mean, and Warriors as well, but. Yeah, you start with Warriors and then just like hit them with like fucking dark and like just bleak and miserable fucking movie.
1: Everyone seemed uh, pretty, you know, the stuff I saw on social media, everyone seemed pretty pleased with the uh, the films, like, you know, with this, with the surprise. No, I didn't see anyone that was just like, ah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> if there was, it's like I would just ignore it anyway. Cause mm-hmm. It's just like it's marathons are hard. Like, you know, people will do it every Halloween or just do it in general. It's like, you know, doing a marathon and trying to, like, balance out between showing, like, things you think people should see versus crowd pleasers versus, like, you know, things to, you know, draw an audience. It's all. And, like, I went in, like, everyone
1: went in cold. I mean, shout out to all the people that came out because... I barely want to go to a movie that I already know I want to see (laughs) (laughs) and to just go to the fucking theater and just hope for the best man. I don't know. I mean, it it is kind of Russian roulette. If you think about it,
2: like very, very much big respect to anybody that came out straight up. Like, and
1: yeah, I thought it was a cool lineup.
2: I mean, I, I do want to say like, you know, the one thing I noticed is like, obviously there was always going to be an audience drop off as the, night progresses but like mm-hmm. from maybe the warriors to like the last movie still a pretty good crowd there's a lot of people that hung in there to the end yeah fuck yeah respect yeah and like you know i want to thank everyone for coming out and celebrating like seven years of cinematic void like i will say a couple things and i'm not saying this to toot my own horn but like i had no way of saying it when we started and ended the marathon but like that opening applause like coming out and no one knew what the fuck they were about to see was just incredible. Fuck. Yeah. Like I fucking thought I was going to start crying on stage. Yeah. It was, it was, it was kind of emotional. And you know, I did some other thing. I, I for the first and last time I did the full detective song of Astros for the intro. Mm-hmm. I know it showed it to you, but basically I just, you know, the version that plays in front of most void shows and a little bit that plays in like on the podcast is like songs, like a three minute song. And I cut it down to like 90 seconds. So, for this, because it's the anniversary, I just played the whole song and kind of filled up the first half of the song. And, like, you know, it was kind of cool to see. And then, at the end, when Burial Ground, like, as I was walking off, it was, like, a weird... I don't want to say weird, but it was just... I guess it was weird to me because I wasn't expecting it, but it was another, like, touching moment. With people just, like, applauding. Cool. It was like doing a victory lap of some sort. You never th- you never think about showing burial ground at like 11 o'clock at night is like you, you're in a victory lap. But I guess in in terms of what that was, yeah. So, I mean, that was the marathon. It was, you know, it was great. And then like on Monday I went and did popcorn, which, you know, it's a lot of fucking movies. It's a lot of movies that like have your girlfriend fly out for and sit through. I think eight movies. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. We've talked a lot about in-theater cinematic void here, but by the time this podcast comes out, the Cinematous Movie will be back for a little season, would say? Like three episodes. uh, Pretty sure one episode's already played by the time this comes out. None of them come out at this point. But, like, doing three episodes, two on YouTube, one Patreon exclusive. Did a little bit of a Patreon drive to kind of, like, you know, build up viewership and how many episodes do i think like the max I would have done is like five total episodes and like you know didn't hit that mark but like you know hit enough that doing new episodes so i'm kind of excited Uh, the way and we've talked about this previously like cinematics movies like just going to come back and do kind of like little mini seasons where it's weekly for like a couple weeks and then like take a break and come back with occasional special in there i i think after this run in march april there's going to be like a camp void special or maybe not Camp Void, but let's just say Camp Void because it's going to be summertime. Yep. So do that, and I don't know. I've been getting all that stuff ready. I actually wrote out all my like host segments before coming over here today, but I didn't have time to film them, so that's what I'll be doing on Sunday. The day of the Lord is not stopping working on Cinematic Void shit. But yeah, I'm kind of excited for the comeback, and I'm kind of excited to see how things go. I guess... You know, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we return, we're going to talk about the Occult April lineup here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. Witness the power
0: of the tarot. Well, he's older. Old enough to be your father? He's 48, and I'm 25. Is he your teacher? You're incredible. My husband is driving me crazy. I see the devil card. He wants to dominate you like he's your king. Exactly. He tells you how to dress, how to talk, where you can go... Yes. You're describing the situation perfectly. I see the Empress. Is someone pregnant? Wow. I wasn't going to tell you that, but... But it's not your current girlfriend, is it? No. No, no, it's not. It's my ex-girlfriend. This is amazing. The King of Cups card shows a very faithful man, one who loves you deeply, by the way. Well, I found out he's had about 10 times the number of past lovers that I've had. Look, his past history is just that, history. Now all he wants is you. Caution, a tarot card reading may be very personal and intense. Be prepared for amazing revelations. Call for your free tarot reading now. Call 1-800-654-3128. Welcome back. We're heading to a new
2: month of 2023, which means a new lineup over at The Lost Fueless 3 for monthly residency, where we screen a movie every Monday for the most part. And you brought up a valid point because I don't really have a name for this series. Normally, like, you know, Killer Obsession, January, Giallo... March movie madness, shit like that. I put, I wrote down as like a filler. Like I, I've called this like seventies occult or cinematic void takes you on a occult trip. I think I wrote down for this was, um, occult April and you're like, nah, it doesn't have a good ring to it.
1: It's I think just April occult sounds better. Just April occult, January giallo, April occult.
2: Your valid point because I was always a stickler for anyone who says like giallo January. It's like, no, it's January giallo. It sounds better. yeah, Yeah, it just
1: sounds wrong that way. It sounds backwards. Yeah.
2: I, so I agree with you. So, we're gonna be talking about the April Occult lineup. And week one is I I decided to like kind of push the limits of what is or isn't a cinematic void movie. I think this fully is. But I think at a certain point once the um criterion or die crowd get a hold of something, they're like, This is only, you know, hard art house or whatever bullshit, you know. I mean, you would know better than me. You have a you have a criterion podcast.
1: Yeah, keep your hands off our Valerie in the week of wonders. <laughs> Which, yeah. We need you to...
2: You don't need me to fucking sleaze and scum it up, is that what you're saying? T- taint the, uh... Don't taint the fucking Ari-like weird art house horror movie.
1: <laughs> I actually haven't seen this one.
2: Oh. Ah. And, well, you'll maybe you'll have a chance to see it. Or you might, you might actually project this one. That'd be cool. So, yeah, the first movie we're kicking off April Cult with is Valerie and Her Week of Wonders. It's from 1970. And I tried to look up how to pronounce this person's name didn't find much so they're Czechoslovakian or what what is is it Czech Republic what is what is Czechoslovakia called now I should probably look this up because I know it's changed because of how the eastern bloc has fluctuated over the years and lack of Russian control
1: Istanbul was once Constantinople
2: yes that definitely one of these scenarios it's definitely changed names so but we'll this film is part of the Czech new wave and it's directed by I'm trying to figure out if the J is a H, a J, or a Y, and we never got clarity on it online. Maybe it's like it's either Jarmil Jiers, Harmel Hiers, or Yarmil Years. There's a good chance all three of those are fucking wrong, but look, I made it, made an effort. So, but it's a really cool movie. It's part of like the Czech New Wave that was happening in the late 60s, early 70s. Milos Foreman, who went on to direct like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and like, you know, Man on the Moon and the People versus Larry Flint. He, you know, started making movies, including um, Loves of a Blonde. Also, probably the most famous Czech New Wave movie, Daisies, which is also in the Criterion collection. There you go. Criterion or Die. But, you know, this one is. It's, it's really interesting because it's, it's based on, like, kind of a like a folklore fairy tale thing in, from, like, a Czech author. But, like, they definitely kind of changed it up because, you know, it's not really, like, I mean, it's still a fairy tale. But it's not, like, you know, I want to say more, like, how do I put it? Like, more, I guess, classical fairy tale. But in the sense of, I'm, I can't think of the word. I, I want to say King Arthur, but it's not like that. Maybe something like that. It's more like those kind of times. But the way it's presented in this movie, it's definitely more kind of like, I'd say, you know, gothic horror.
1: Okay. And
2: I I think what, uh, you know, the movie's kind of like part coming-of-age story slash sexual awakening, gothic horror, and surrealist nightmare. And, you know, it's beautifully shot. There's lots of haunting, incredible images in it. It's going to definitely ruffle some people because... There's a lot of taboo subject matter just based on it because it's you know a girl that's played by an actual 14 year old girl being lusted after, lots of grown men, who are also vampires.
1: So you get vampires, zombies. So they're even older than you think they are. Yeah. So that <laughs> they're like a hundred, there's a hundreds of years age difference. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah. the... There's like, there's that, there's incest angles and stuff like. There, there's definitely things that are probably like, if you take a literal 2023 lens to, you're gonna be really uncomfortable. But I think by design, the movie's supposed to make you uncomfortable. But it's definitely very poetic and how it plays out. And it's like, I don't know. It, I was, ex- I hadn't seen it, and I was really excited when Criterion put this out originally. And it's just kind of been on my list, and I thought at some point the Cinematheque would just show it outright, and. When I was like thinking of like April, I had a couple different lineups, of different like very like one was more like just straight up witchcraft, and like I think I had like Teen Witch and things in there. And I just kept messing with it. And then it kind of like hooned in on like this more 70s occult vibe. And I wouldn't say this is outright like a cult. A cult cult movie. There's definitely a lot of cult imagery in it. But I think it fits. And I think it's a, you know, real interesting way to kick things off. And it's just it's kind of twofold. It's one, pushing the envelope of what is or isn't a cinematic void movie. Two, you know, dabbling in bringing that criterion crowd like I didn't learn my lesson from Hour of the Wolf. But we'll see. I mean, I I'm also kind of curious how it plays with the audience because like, it's definitely like a very specific vibe. So that's going to be week one. For week two, we're going to Bring, bring in a film directed by kind of a familiar face because, you know, I've screened five other movies by this director. And, of course, we're talking about George A. Romero's Season of the Witch.
0: Hungry wives. My evening is free. On a diet of men. You know, you're not bad in the sack, Mrs. Robinson. I bad yourself. Everything women could want out of marriage except the one thing they crave most. Joan, available. Shirley, dissolving her problems in drink. Marion, dabbling in witchcraft. They are all hungry wives with an appetite for diversion. Gambling with life and death. Son of a... Hungry wives lead normal lives, or do they? One of these days, you're going to find yourself lying there, some jackass between your legs. What goes on while their husbands are at work? You are sick, woman. Didn't know what I was doing. Falled in the next room, and you go with it, because you didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what to do. I'll tell you how to handle it. You kick some ass, damn it. You kicked some ass! Hungry wives.
2: As I was stating earlier, this would make the sixth different Romero film I've screened. I've done Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, so the Dead Trilogy. I've done Martin in 16mm, and I did a Restoration of the Crazies way back in Beyond Fest 2016, Void Um, Year One.
1: I'm actually surprised that you're just now getting to Season of the Witch.
2: Well, originally... I did a double feature. Beyond Fest it was with Arrow Video. It was going to be The Crazies and Season of the Witch. It was two restorations. However, they couldn't find the materials to do the restoration of Season of the Witch at the time, so I ended up getting pulled. And I just threw a hail mary and said, like, "Can I show Martin on 16?" And got okay. So Martin replaced Season of the Witch, and it's definitely been floated in various lineups of things I've done over the years. And you know I. There's definitely I think at different points I thought about playing it last year when I started doing the weekly residency at the Los Feliz 3 mm-hmm. and just never found a home for it. So I was kind of happy to put it in. And one of the things about it is that, you know, the, you know, despite the filmmaker George Romero and the title season of the witch, it's not really an out and out horror movie. It's more of a drama with like kind of a periphery of occultism in it. It's Basically about a woman that's, like, you know, kind of bored and sexually frustrated with her life. And she kind of wants to find an avenue to kind of, like, open things up. And she starts experimenting with witchcraft. And it's, you know, if you know anything about George Romero's career, after he made Night of the Living Dead, he wanted the pivot away from horror. And he made a movie called There's Always Vanilla, which is a straight-up drama. This isn't a straight-up drama, but, like, it's kind of the same trajectory, except there's little bits of horror element, and there's some blood and things like that in this movie. But the movie was originally called Jack's Wife. That's what it was shot as, and what he wanted to release it as. The distributor is like, well, we got to sell this as something, because, like... Maybe occult stuff wasn't as big when it came out, so they released it as Hungry Wives and tried to sell it as a sexploitation movie, like a softcore-like kind of thing, which this movie definitely is not. Okay. It's, I mean, there I think there's a little bit of nudity, but, like, it ain't nothing to, like, it ain't, like, a fucking full-on, like, Russ, Russ Meyer movie or something like that or, like, or any of the, like, cheerleader, or any of the corpsmen, like, nurses, or, like, stewardess, or any of that kind of shit. It's it's not a sexploitation movie. It's a drama. And I know at a certain point, they decided to, and this is later on, is when Dawn of the Dead became a massive hit, the distributor who had the rights to this movie decided, like, why don't we sell it as an outright horror movie? So it was released as George A. Romero's Season of the Witch, which... I can't remember at what point that the Donovan song came into play. Like they definitely licensed the Donovan song and stuck it in the movie. And I think this is a print that's coming from a private collector and I think it's pre that so like it might not even have season the witchit and it, it might just be the hungry lot wives print. Oh, wow. wild. So I'm kind of I'm kind of curious about it like just because it's just like you're watching the movie in probably it's most Unrepresentative form, or no, probably closest to its representative form. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it. This is what happened to exploitation films, or indie indie horror movies, or anything like that. Once the distributor got a hold of it, they were like, they had to try to fucking milk money out of it. Yeah. So, that's why you see like, you I mean case in point that the the greatest Bigfoot movie ever made, Night of the Demon, is called Night of the Demon because Bigfoots were out of vogue. Mm-hmm. So they sold it as a fucking demon movie. And you see, like you know, how many movies got retitled, like something to do with last or a house that's, you know, near house by the lake or whatever. Like none of those movies were originally called that. But if you could tie it in the last house and left, let's make a fucking buck. Yeah. I mean, oh, the biggest one is um, Tower of Evil, which was released in like the early '70s, got re-released as Beyond the Fog hmm. to cash in on John Carpenter's Fog. Oh, wild. Wow. Yeah, so it happened all the time and happened in this movie. Like, you know, it's from a movie that's called Jack's Wife, which is a drama with some occult elements, to Season of the Witch, Romero's mm. witchcraft movie, even though it's like still straight up drama. But I don't know. I, I'd been kind of wanting to screen this movie for a while. And it's kind of the last of it, say, Romero's like big 70s period. And I think it's also, this is kind of the beginning of his like. Creative run of like doing, like, you know, he made horror movies, but he also had something to say. And, like, you know, this movie's dealing with like the women's liberation movement on top of it in a very, like, you know, even handed, you know, pro women libera- liberation kind of way. Mm-hmm. So this was him, like, also leaning his political side. And he had the crazies, which is like a little bit of like, you know, maybe Dawn of the Dead to some extent, or like a warm up for Dawn of the Dead, like taking whatever he did with Night amping it up and being like the segue to get the Dawn. Then you have Martin, which is also a drama with a vampire who may not be a vampire. So there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. And I think like, you know, this run ended with Night Riders, which is, you know, his big jousting biker movie, which is insane that like anyone ever funded that. But like, you know, Dawn was a big enough hit. So it's like, you want to put Ed Harris in a fucking like King Arthur outfit and have him fucking jousting on a motorcycle go
1: to it is that is that post like mad max or something how does that even exist what what Uh, what is that
2: it i mean like a lot of these movies it's a personal metaphor because like george was after dawn pete studios were actually coming to him like what's getting the business because horror movies were booming Mm -hmm. so he made this movie about like you know doing what you love and believe in or selling out and that's very apparent in this movie because like not that we need to talk about Knight Riders or in Season of the Witch, but no, that's like great. <laughs> I, I, I think like the Season of the Witch through Night Riders is like his most interesting creative arc. Cool. With Dawn just being like this, you know, monolith of like making a sequel to like one of the most infamous and famous like you know, horror classics, which like took a you know, it was an instant horror classic, but because this is not, this is the only time I'm gonna say like that losing its copyright kind of helped it out because it was played so much on TV and drive-ins and like all, all that stuff mm-hmm. because it was always in the subconscious or in the outright conscious I should say it kind of elevated where Dawn came out as a sequel of course that's gonna make fucking money mm-hmm. and you know that was like after Night Riders he did Creepshow which I'm not the biggest fan of I don't think it's a bad movie but I'll, I think we talked about, like, one of the Halloween episodes. I think it was part four of all the Halloween series when we talked about anthologies and stuff like that. I think that's the episode. I can't remember what number it is. But, like, getting to, like, my opinions on Creepshow, which aren't shared by a lot of people. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's a great movie. Where I think this run of, this period of Romero is, like, you know, it's like being an artist, while also, you know, dabbling in genre stuff and doing interesting things with it. So, I mean, I'm really stoked to show that. For week three, we are going to be switching gears. Still going to be occult elements, but shit's going to get wild because we're showing Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain.
0: Nothing in your education or experience can have prepared you for this film. Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain. The Holy Mountain is a film completely outside the entire tradition of motion picture art. It is outside the tradition of modern theater. The Holy Mountain is a film outside the tradition of criticism and review.
2: I don't know what to say about this movie because it's just a fucking masterpiece. You've seen it, right? Yeah. I don't know. And for those of you who haven't, like, I'll just read the very simple plot: in a corrupt, greed fueled world, a powerful alchemist leads a Masonic character and seven materialistic figures to the holy mountain, where they hope they achieve enlightenment. Sounds simple. Not really. It is one of the. I think, let's just say, like, it's one of the greatest midnight movies ever made. Mm-hmm. But it's also probably one of the greatest movies just outright made, and it's probably also one of the most insane fucking movies ever made. Yep. The fact that, like, you know, the Beatles had money in this, or at least their, um, was it their manager? I forget what the guy's name is. And at one point, George Harrison was supposed to be the star of it. And he objected to having his anus clean on camera. Hmm. And as opposed to having a stand-in, or not shooting the scene at all, Orowski's like, fine, you won't be in the movie. And cast someone else. Which is, like, if you think about it, as like,
1: could you imagine George Harrison in this movie? Yeah, right on. More of a Ringo kind of character.
2: <laughs> I don't know how Ringo feels about anus washing. <laughs> I mean, no one's probably asked him. Probably for good reason. Ringo, would you have been in the Holy Mountain and got your anus washed? I, I can't imagine how that goes. But, yeah, it's this movie's fucking incredible. And, like, this was kind of the no-brainer I stuck in there. Like, as I've been programming, I maybe more specifically... Uh, this year in particular, like, as I look at lineups, I'm like, what's the absolute banger? What's going to, like, sell out or be close to sell out? And what can I take chances on and do interesting things And in trying to find that balance? And I'll just be blunt and say the Holy Mountain was, like, that's the banger. Yeah. That's that's the that's the thing that makes the whole series, like, you know, they'll make up for the ones that maybe, I don't want to say underperformed, but the ones that we're only going to go go to a certain level you know holy mountain kind of makes that okay yeah and that's more just you know programming philosophy stuff but yeah it's what i was gonna say it's probably gonna be a wild screening it's hasn't sold out yet but it's head real quick there and been having you know been having some quick out to l3
1: like but normally I, normal. I, oh i just dare i suggest that uh you may I think you may find a you know the same way that you might have a little bit of a different crowd with Valerie, you know, not your typical CV crowd. Oh no! I think more of the same with Holy Mountain. Oh you're, yeah, you're going to find a lot. Of, it's not going to be folks that are that are familiar with what you do. Oh yeah, and it might be the first and only time they show up unless they show
2: like El Topo or Santa Sangre or something right. like that, mm-hmm. or if we offer free mushrooms on the entry.
1: Yeah. Because. Mm something to think about <laughs> <laughs> it's a good
2: marketing ploy i mean you know the people are gonna come fucking tripping yeah hell yeah this is like this is like the 2001 like trying to hit that fucking dropping that ass and hoping you hit the fucking stargate sequence at the right time mm-hmm. except this whole movie is just the stargate sequence so at any point whatever if you're coming in you're indulging at any point that hits you'll be okay or you'll be in the worst fucking time of your life because it's, the movie's just a mind fuck. Mm-hmm. So, stoked to be showing it. And again, that's that's the, that's the banger of the four. And for the last movie in April, Occult, this was one I actually tried to show back in 2018 when I was doing New England Nightmares. And I ended up not... I ended up... I, I did a triple feature for it where I did like authors, New England authors. So I did um, Stephen King... H.P. Lovecraft and um, the fake author from *In the Mouth of Madness* Sutter Kane. Mm-hmm. Read Sutter Kane, bro, or whatever that fucking line. I don't think there's a bro in there, but every time I think of Sutter, <laughs> when someone says, "Do you read Sutter Kane?" I just see bro at the end, and I know it's not there, and I'm completely creating something that doesn't exist. But it's just like, so yeah, this is. I think it's interesting because it's one of the really earliest Lovecraft at, Lovecraft, though. I think it's interesting because it's one of the earliest Lovecraft adaptations and, it, and it's the Dunwich Horror. The nights
0: are darker. And night is when it happens in the Dunwich Horror. Come back, old ones, princes of darkness, and repossess the earth. The Dunwich Horror, based on H.P. Lovecraft's terrifying tale of those who explore the unspeakable. Starring Sandra Dee, Dean Stockwell, Academy Award winner Ed Begley, Sam Jaffe. Of horrendipity written here, the love story of a girl looking to the future and a boy dedicated to the mysteries of the past. He invokes the unspeakable. Ya, yeah. Sata. She invites it. You're one of us now. depthless paradise of terror
1: where fear
0: eternal lives and the dead come to life I've never heard anything like that
2: I mean, most people think HP Lovecraft adaptations. They go immediately to Reanimator from beyond and all that. And I was kind of mentioning that before we got kind of derailed talking about New England Nightmares. That, like, I had a lineup. I can't remember what was all in it, but it was just like the lineup I ended up doing was From Beyond and the Mouth of Madness and um The Mist, mm-hmm. and did the black and white version of The Mist. And there's a different lineup where I was going to do, like, I think it was like Dead and Buried, Dunwich Horror, and the, I can't remember what else it was. And was we were trying to get a print done, Dunwich horror and we're having a having a tough time. And I was just like, you know what? I just like scrapped the whole triple features. Like, why not do this instead? And that did nearly 500 people from Beyond in the Mouth of Madness in the Mist. Yeah. So maybe my second guessing myself was correct mm-hmm. in that regard. But I, I've always wanted to show the Dunwich Witch horror. It stars Sandra Sandra D. A.K. Gidget, which is cool. weird that she's in a cult movie like that. Mm-hmm. Dean Stockwell one of the great character actors you know some of you might know him from quantum leap some of you might know him like lip-syncing into a light bulb from blue velvet just you know one of the best character actors and he plays like i'd say although not lovecraftian i guess you can get the through line he's kind of modeled after alistair crowley but you know basically dean stockwell basically goes after um was after Stan- Sandra D's character because he wants to do a ritual with the Necronomicon to bring the old ones back so the old ones can do old one shit. And, you know, it's very psychedelic because, you know, it's AIP produced, you know, American International Pictures, who made a ton of fucking Edgar Allan Poe stuff. Cool. Like, you know, all the classic Corman Vincent Price ones. Mm-hmm. But they, they didn't really do, like, Lovecraft and stuff. And I feel like those were kind of in the public domain at the time, too, just as Poe. But maybe they were a little more unadaptable in some ways.
1: Yeah. So it's, you know, again, haven't read the story. Poe just feels Poe feels more like it's easy to put into like a a hammer horror or something. You know what I mean? Like that kind of vibe.
2: Yeah, I I think because like there's certain, there's certain beats in Poe stories that like you can stretch out and Mm -hmm. fill in. Whereas with Lovecraft, you got to think how you, how you're filling it out. And for this screening, we're showing actually a rare Fuji print from a private collector, which I'm kind of stoked about. So, you know, worked out for the best because I think the print we would have got if I had done this in 2018 would have been faded and looked like shit. Mm-hmm. So Fuji Fuji fades a little different from Eastman. This is for yeah. you film-going connoisseurs. It's, it's like, like way, way less red. Yeah, Fuji tends to fade purple, but it still maintains a lot of c- color, you mm-hmm. know. I think the best example when I showed Dark August back in uh, for Camp Void last year, it it was a Fuji print that had a little bit of Fuji fade and it just it's a slight purple tint. It, but you still have the color. Whereas like where Eastman starts turning pink, like the worse it gets, you're looking. If it's a night shot, you could be looking at a fucking red screen. So, real treat to see that. So that is the April occult lineup. Not a called April because that sucks. April occult. We're gonna take one last break here, but when we return, it's going to be. I'd say a little bit of extended re and listen here on the Cinematic Boy Podcast.
1: You can take Salem
0: out of the country, but you can't take the country out of Salem. Country soft. Country fresh. That's the taste you get wherever you light up a Salem because Salem gently air softens every puff for the smoothest, most refreshing taste of any filter cigarette. So, wherever you are, take a puff. It's fresh. It's springtime. You can take Salem out of the country, but You can't take the country out of Salem. Try Salem, America's largest selling menthol cigarette. You can take Salem out of the country,
2: Welcome back. It's now time for On the Cinemac Void Podcast Where we talk about all the things we've been reading, watching, and or listening to Since the last time we recorded a podcast And since how long has it been? A month? Maybe? Something like that? Say like two weeks It's been two weeks? Has
1: it been two weeks? It's
2: been long two weeks, Talk. <laughs>
1: that's about two weeks that's about two weeks that's about two weeks
2: I'm doing that fucking am I doing that register that I had to do for Mike's movie shout out to Mike Cuenca cause he fucking somehow conned us into being in his new movie yeah it was really fun <laughs> somehow I think like on paper yours was more humiliating than my scene but at the end of the day
1: oh, that, was was, more... uh, that wasn't humiliating that was awesome <sighs>
2: and well you're just gonna have to wait for i don't even know what fucking movie that was in mike's like shooting three movies at the same time yeah it could be in any of the three
1: well i guess we'll find out eventually find
2: out but yeah so nick what have you been reading watching in or listening to
1: all right um nothing (laughs) 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 absolutely nothing i'm fucking busy dude um i uh that new uh x weapon x uh ep split ep with uh, world of pleasure just came out so i've been listening to those weapon songs over and over and there's a new incendiary track called bite the hook uh it's on their new record coming out called change the way you think about pain on closed casket um and it fucking rips of course and so does the weapon songs uh just there you go i've been listening to these three songs all week (laughs) um And I I actually have, I did watch a a bunch of movies, but we, uh, we mostly, we, a number of the things that I've watched lately, we actually watched together, uh, not even for the podcast, or if we didn't watch them together, we watched them like days apart because we lent each other the Blu-rays and such. So, uh, so we might as well just do kind of our, you know, do the, do them in conjunction when you, uh, talk about yours. Um, so anyway, what have you been reading, watching and, or listening to Jim? Well, for once, I actually read something. I got a
2: self-help book that my girlfriend gave me called The New Codependency by Melody... Was it Beattie? Beatty? Betty? Beattie? Beattie? Taking care of the mental health stuff, so that's, that's what i am been d- reading. Try not to read any film shit or whatever. I've been doing a lot of film writing. Just got finished up the zine, issue three of the Cinematic void and Zine stuff, so... Lots of writing, but that ain't the what this fucking thing was when we came up with it. Um, listen, because I'm going to save the watch for last, is well, that's a lot of stuff. More than the three songs you've been listening to. Although I've listened to all three of those songs as well, and I think they all fucking rip in various ways. Um... Like one, I think it was like one. I think it was day after marathon. My girlfriend was going through my record collection, and she put on the Quatalacha. I don't even know if that's how you say. It. Is it, it Katawacha? I, 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 this is going to be that fucking director of Valerie and her weaker wonders again. I feel
1: like we've done this. We've before. just we've always called it Quatalacha. So
2: it's it's always going to be Cuadalacha. It's es Muto, which is is dead. Um, kind of a pop punk meets power violence grindcore band from like the Savannah, yeah, Savannah, Georgia area, like late like i guess early mid 90s through like early 2000s um fucking phenomenal record probably one of my favorites um uh, and because i was listening to that it's like you know i always wonder why those guys didn't do more bands but they did do they were in a band some of those guys were in a band called the carbanas which is like let's say like garage rock ramones
1: style stuff mm-hmm. and listen to the gg uh gg king who uh, also has like solo records was in the Carbonas and also Cuadalacha. Yeah. And maybe, maybe Jesse too. Uh Jesse, uh, gentleman, Jesse, he might've been in Cuadalacha, but I mean, he was definitely in Carbonas, of course. Yeah. Did I say Carbonas? I guess it's Carbonas. There is an O there. So Carbonas, not glue, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, I've been listening to the self title and your moral superiors, which is like a singles collection. Hayden Canadian folk song extraordinaire. It's got a new album coming out. It's pretty good. He's got three tracks that have been released on it, some piano stuff, some kind of slightly rocking folk rock stuff, and he did a song with Feist, which is really catchy. Cool. Been digging that. Uh, Drug Church released a single called Myopic. Try I haven't listened yet. It. It's, yeah, it's, I think, it's kind of better than the last album. I like that last album, but I think it's a really catchy, kind of noisy pop song. Cool. So, kind of digging that. Stumbled on this band called Take My Chances, which I guess is a hardcore band from, like, New York not New York City but I think either Staten or Long Island sorry I don't remember which island but I guess they put out a record in 2008 and then they just decided to put out a new record 15 years later like never really heard of them but like this I, I think because listen to Quattelache I wanted another Quattelache kick because like you know there's only a 10 inch a split EP and like a discography and kind of similar not okay. I wouldn't say exact but like kind of catchy poppy hardcore well produced so pretty cool EP um Discovered this band. I saw it on No Echo. Came across like the Twitter feed, where once the Twitter feed was helpful. This band called, I think I said Wanderer. Uh, they have an EP out called Indulgence of the Unreal. It's kind of like definitely hardcore, but also sludge metal mm-hmm. in there. So it's like there's some hardcore and fast parts, but then it's like sludge metal. I listened to some of their earlier stuff where they were more of a hardcore band. Kind of rem- reminds me of Feather and of Feather and Bone who started out as like kind of a straight up noisy hardcore band and then just became a death metal band. So I think kind of similar, you know, you know, genre flip or evolution, whatever you want to call it. Kind of good stuff. I found myself going on a kick for a record label. and I don't normally, you know, do record. I haven't probably stand a record label since like fucking slap a ham in late nineties or early two thousands where I'm like, got to get everything. Listen to the thing. But Dune Altar, which is from here, like they put out that Fay Tooth record, which I loved, which was one of my favorite records of last year. And I kind of was like, I just want to listen to some other things they put out. And Jesus Christ, it's fucking bangers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I listened to the Headcut self title EP, which is kind of like, kind of punky.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, I'd say, I don't want to say new wave, but maybe new wave because I don't have a better word. Post punk. Cool. There we go.
1: Yep. Really good, and uh, also... I, I saw them probably in January. Oh, no shit. They're really good in Ventura.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, was that the show um, with um Dummy and... uh? It's Catholic Spit. And Ca- oh, sorry, Catholic Spit, the other band. Sorry. Catholic Spit, and um, was it um fucking...
1: I don't know who else played it all. Just Catholic Spit and Headcut. Oh, okay. I can't okay. Say, think of a single other band. I mean, like, two other bands played, but oh. I have no clue.
2: I was trying to think. What was the fucking... I can't think of her name. Like, um... Snail Mail. Was that the same show? Or was that, was, that... that was with Dummy. Oh, okay. See, so yeah, I got them all confused. You're fucking traveling around there seeing some go. shows. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh, also on the same label was the Lungs, Psychic Tombs. A little bit older record. I guess it's like, I don't know. It's like, there's definitely some blasphemy. It's like hardcore, but meets like garage rock. hmm But done really well. Like two things that would be a shit show for most bands. Like mm-hmm. pulled off extremely well. Um, there's a new single by this band called Rival Cults, which I believe are members of like Exhumed and like death metal bands and stuff. Oh, really? Like that. Yeah. I, I saw like listed, like, I think the drummer who used to be, um, Colonel Jones who used to be the drummer. Exhumed is the drummer of this band. It's like straight up goth rock, like Sisters of Mercy, Fields of Nephilim, that kind of shit. And it's just like, I, I don't know, had a little bit of itch for that kind of stuff. So like that single drop was like, holy fuck, finds, you know. Think about something like, yeah, I just want something like that. And then lands on your fucking doorstep. And another single, same label. I feel like I'm getting paid to do this, but, like, just lots of good shit. Is this band called Iris, and the song's called Ricochet. They're kind of, like, female-fronted, like, electronic doom metal. There's, like, definitely some, like, ambient electronic stuff going on. So, lots of kick-ass stuff. So that's what I've been listening to. Watch, I got a couple things that I didn't watch with you, but... Watched blowout for the millionth time at this point Watch with my girlfriend who had never seen it, and she's from philadelphia and she could actually point out locations like oh i know where that was and would tell me exactly where that was and i was like wow cool. i mean i live like we lived like 90 minutes away from philadelphia for most of our adult lives and mm-hmm. it's strange they don't know shit about it then i think back i couldn't point out too many landmarks in baltimore either so <laughs> <What is that? laughs> if someone's like, here's a movie shot in Baltimore, do you know where... It is? Like, you show me a John Waters movie, I don't know where any of that, those fucking places are.
1: You're telling me you can't take me to the Liberty Bell right now? Well, I, that's obvious, but I couldn't I couldn't take you
2: to, like, some of the other fucking locations, or the place that Divine ate dog shit at. You, you can't know? take
1: me to the, the Rocky Stairs right now? Oh, fuck off with that. I... I could take you to those <laughs> things because I could look them up on Google. But, I mean,
2: what I'm saying is not look them up. No, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't know where any of those things are. There we go. So, yeah. So, but you know, you, you probably agree blow out probably one of the greatest movies oh, yeah. ever made. It's definitely a top 10 movie for me. Like straight up, like that movie just gets better and better. It's, it's a fucking masterpiece. Um. Also, when she was in town, because I didn't make her watch enough movies in a theater, we watched movies at the apartment. We watched Pieces, again one of the greatest films ever. Not in the same way Blowout is, but it's it's a lot of fun. You've seen Pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And from the same producer, Dick Randall, who made all kinds of crazy exploitation shit, we watched Don't Open Till Christmas, which has the same star as Pieces, or one of the same stars as Pieces, and. It's about a killer that kills people dressed as Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And maybe not great. I've seen it before. Not, not great to watch a Christmas movie in March? Not great because the movie's itself not great. <laughs> I mean, anytime there's a Santa Claus getting fucking murdered, top-notch shit. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff in between doesn't work. But there's a really great sequence in the London dungeon that they shot at, which is really cool. And then has one of the most craziest cameos ever put on film. It's Caroline Moreau, who you know from Maniac and stuff like that. She appears in the movie as herself performing a musical number. Hmm. I don't know what kind of fucking like contract knowledge. She's Like I'll be in this movie if I can do a song Yeah, and I just play myself, which is just fucking wild. But those are things that we watched. Now, I guess we'll talk about the things we either jointly watched or watch pretty close together here. And the first one is Project Wolf Hunting, which was, I think we were talking about maybe recording a podcast one day when just came over and watched this instead and like i know this played beyond fest but because we were both balls deep and like making sure shows actually fucking happen at beyond fest with like dcps and stuff didn't see this but watched it over here and i don't know it's i really liked it and i was kind of like damn this is fucking great and fucking great and then it just kind of didn't end
1: yeah it's 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 a bit long but uh yeah it's it's great it's a mashup of many things
2: it's like, you know, there's Con Air, there's, like... Universal you know, Soldier. There's a Return of the Living Dead, and, like...
1: You could even make the argument for Terminator and Alien and... Predator, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely Predator.
2: It it definitely, like, it, like each scene kind of, like, flips, mm-hmm. like, to a different movie. But kind of... But, but it, as the same movie, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, like, not not in a bad... It doesn't take away from it.
2: No, it, it it's not... When I say it kind of flips to, a, like, a different movie every few scenes. I'm not saying that it's like jarring. It's just like it appropriately switches gears each time. And even when it gets to the ending and even when it kind of just like doesn't stop when it's like too much of a good thing. Cause I remember when we were watching it, like this is a fucking at least a four star movie, maybe five as we're going, but like it just like,
1: but also uh, I would say fun to watch with someone else. Yeah. I wouldn't have enjoyed it quite as much had i just been sitting here alone watching it. So you know, definitely I mean, get a get a group of people together and throw this thing on, and it'd probably be a fuck of a lot of fun. It's it's a blast.
2: I mean, it's gory as shit. There's one scene where I think you got up, and I was like, oh fucking like you're like hold up, and we had to rewind <laughs> it like that scene where he hits the dude with a sledgehammer. Jesus Christ! Mm-hmm. Like there's there's so many oh shit moments in the movie, and like it's lots of practical gore effects, like geysers of fucking blood. You know, there's there's just a couple things like you know maybe I was being too harsh, or maybe because it took me out of it, like, there's a there's a few, like, I don't want to say bad, but like, the effects are so good, so when something isn't on that same level, it doesn't
1: it kind of just you, you actually notice, yeah
2: but yeah, it it was an incredible thing to watch and again, I think it that's definitely a movie to watch with an audience, or, you know, watch with a bunch of friends in your house, yeah, it came out on Wellgo, which has put out a lot of, like, you know Asian cinema from Korea, China Japan, that, okay. that kind of stuff, so Cool. Really good label, really good distributor. Um, next thing we saw, we both saw this in the theater, kind of
1: surprisingly, which was Irreversible. Oh yeah, at the Arrow.
2: Gaspar uh, Noe in person.
1: Yep, Gaspar was there, uh, Did came up for the intro for both films and did a Q&A between, and so it was Irreversible, and you didn't stick around, but it was Irreversible and Irreversible The Straight Cut, uh, both on DCP and Again, Gaspar doesn't do this very often, so the fact that this happened at all, like, I had to make sure I was there.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, homie Nikolai was there, definitely geeked out and got some shit signed by Gaspar. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was like. Fucking sick. uh, He's like, should I do it? I was like, just fucking do it. (laughs) Hell, yeah. (laughs) You only live live once.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, little... but I uh, guess Gaspar made himself pretty available the whole night. Like it, he was, he was just kind of chilling and hanging out in the theater and wandering around and talking to people. You know, he was, he was having a good ass time. Um, so he didn't even r- really seem to be mind to be bothered. And people weren't like bothering him, bothering him anyway. It was actually everyone was very respectful. Yeah. And some people took a little more time than others. But yeah, he was just chilling, man. And w- when I got up at the end of the night, he was like, was just sitting right behind us. <laughs> you just know, watching just the movie. like, all right, there he is again. <laughs> I mean
2: it it you know I hadn't seen your reversal in a theater since its original theatrical run which was fuck when shit I can't even remember 2000
1: now. uh 2003 2002 yeah. 2003 Yeah that whew, yeah. In fact uh no the um the night the night of the screening the The night before the screening was the actual twentieth uh, anniversary wow. of the American release of Irreversible. God So, and we just uh, we couldn't actually do it on that day, and that's why it was on Wednesday.
2: I mean, you know, it. I was kind of curious to see how it played because most of the people in the crowd had not seen it, and when I originally saw, like, it cleared the fucking theater. Yeah. This I
1: think to- I think I only saw like one person walk out. Yeah.
2: Um. There. There's definitely some people that went on dates. I mm-hmm. think that got up at the end of the movie and left before the Q&A started. I'm sure that's an awkward car ride home. I mean, I was there with a date, but, like, she had already seen it. Mm -hmm. we sat next to the homie Andrew Furtado from Severn, and he was, like, bust my chops. It's like, Like, I think Andrew was saying, his wife's like, should I come with the kid? Should we hang out and watch this movie? He's like, no, no. And he's, like, had to explain what happens in the movie. She's like, yeah, me me and the kid are going to stay home kind of thing. So, but, you know, saw a lot of friendly faces and, you know, it, I it played really well, yeah. And it's just like you know, it's it's just. Now I haven't seen the straight cut yet, and like, I, I guess we don't have to get in your opinion of it, but it's just like I, yeah. You know,
1: I mean, I I had seen it. I have the Blu-ray of the straight cut as well, um. But it was my first time seeing the theater. Uh, it had screened the new art a few weeks ago, and you know Nikolai had went to that. Um, He's gonna
2: end up on a fucking FBI list before this run is done.
1: And then we also just bought tickets so that we can see Irreversible and Lahane at uh Nubev uh next month. So we're going again. Um so yeah, we are on a watch list. Uh but yeah, it's playing on film. It's a it's a new they they struck a new print. But uh yeah, it'll be cool. I got my film. I mean, I'm gonna start experimenting with uh, all of his films and I, I think if you take mushrooms, like if you take mushrooms at the beginning of Irreversible or Climax, uh, they probably hit pretty hard at a pretty weird bad part. it really <laughs> fuck you up, man. You really ruin your fucking day.
2: <laughs> well, that that that's going to be for another podcast when you do that experiment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I guess for the last movie, that we didn't watch this one together, but I watched it, and you saw my review. It's like, oh, fuck. And I was like, here, I'm just going to loan you the Bl- Blu- Blu-ray, which is um, Todd Field's. Tar, um, Chris Lemire, who works at the Cinematheque and one of the architects of Bleak, we had like been championing this movie this whole time. I think he saw it at Telluride or something like that. Oh, cool. Okay. And he he was like, "You're gonna love this movie, Jim." Mm-hmm. And he just kept saying it. And like, you know, Todd showed up and we did a screening, of like all the three films he's directed and stuff like that. And it's just like, and I, I've Dude, seen- if
1: I, I after after watching Tar this week, I wish I had a time machine because I did and we can maybe or maybe not get into that, but I did just watch his other two films as well because of seeing Tara. Um, and goddamn, man, I, I, yeah, I love his work.
2: I mean, it's, you know, I, I hadn't seen the other ones in a long time, but it's just like, yeah, you know, I I was at Target of all fucking places, and I was just, like, grocery shopping or whatever, and, like, they had one copy of it on Blu-ray, and, I was, and it was, like, seventeen ninety-nine, and I was like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. It's like I was going to rent it on Amazon, but it's like I feel like when I rent new movies on Amazon, I'm just not that invested. Yeah. Cuz then I feel like I'm under pressure to watch this thing within 24 hours once I rent it. <laughs> so, which is weird cuz it's like I could spend 6 bucks or I could spend 17, and it's like I in this case I'm glad I spent 17 because this was like holy shit. Like this if I had watched this like when it came out, this would have been my favorite movie of last year, mm-hmm. and I've seen it have weird, polarizing reviews, mostly from people that kind of like misinterpret it or whatever. And I, you know, I, I, I gotta admit, I haven't seen most of the fucking Oscar winners or the Oscar nominees or everything, everything, everywhere at once or whatever that a twenty four thing is. But like, you didn't see it? I haven't seen it because like, I. I, there had a couple times I was supposed to go see it and it just didn't happen and like I'm gonna paraphrase I think Michelle Yeoh is one of the greatest like just people mm-hmm. humans in cinema you know all of her Hong Kong work uh, every time she's done in like American I think she's incredible with that said I don't you know I don't know how you beat Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tarr you, I don't know how you, I, don't, I, you don't you don't you don't I mean the awards did but like I you know, it's like, Tar is just a fucking beast of a movie. It's like, it it's the kind of movie that, like, I wish more people would make, and it just doesn't happen. I mean, probably with good reason, but it's just like, you know, I think we both kind of watched this movie slightly different. I went in and realized, right off the bat, it's a comedy. To me. Mm-hmm. Like a dark comedy. And it's basically taking a very pretentious, curated, you know, character which is Lydia Tar, who has this persona I mean here's the funny thing when you start watching you thought Lydia Tar was a real person right I'm not the
1: only one. Oh no most people do yeah
2: most people think it's bait it's based on I mean they probably had
1: inspiration from certain things but... I mean you know I can maybe name one or two people that I know at all that that could start naming like modern composers yeah oh yeah but... so so just meaning like You know, that's not an art form that's, like, in most of our just, like, even our just, like, peripheral, you know? I just, it's just not something I know much about. And I, you know, I enjoy classical music from time to time, but I I couldn't tell you, like, a composer's name currently. No. You know, so, like, I don't know. It just, yeah, the way that it was presented. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a Blair Witch thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it, there wasn't, like, a weird campaign to make people believe that this was a real composer or something, but whatever they did, it still worked.
2: Yeah, because, like, you, you don't see Kate Blanchett. You just see Lydia Tarr. Straight and up. Like, Straight up. And the way it's is the perfect fucking slow burn. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's things that set up, and it gets paid off. Mm-hmm. And just, like, you know, it's... there's I've seen a lot of bad interpretations, but, like, you know, ultimately, it's, like, People are like, well, it's a movie about, you know, cancel culture and this that, help cancel culture is bad. It's not about that. It's about a person that is kind of a terrible person who ends up... The The ultimate point is, like, yeah, they get in trouble and they lose the career, that prestigious, the, the prestigious part of their career. But they're still working. They're still making fucking money. Yeah. When she's, like, conducting Monster Hunter or whatever that thing is the end. Like, that's the fucking
1: joke. It's not that... Well, it's a, I, I listened to a, a Todd Field interview and he said, uh, you know, Lydia Tár's fate wasn't the worst thing that he thought would happen to her. It's the worst thing that she thought would happen to her.
2: Yeah. It, it, that's the thing because she's pro like that Lydia Tár is making fucking bank mm-hmm. being overseas conducting this thing. Yeah. But it's beneath her. Mm-hmm. It's beneath it's an ego thing. Her ego's been fucking deflated. And, like, something where, like, she's still, like, entertaining people, but she has to control it, and, like, she has to conduct it, like, you know, can't do, she can't improvise, she can't do anything, it's just, it's just the job, a well-paying job, and it's just, like, she's demeaned because the lifestyle and the ego, because, like, you got to think of things in there when she's, like, posing as the same composer that she's doing a tribute to, and, like, all that shit, like, it's just, yeah. it's like, It's very subtle because she's a fucking terrible person to a lot of people, but does it in a way where it doesn't read, it doesn't read right away. It's just like, oh, you know, she's just doing this thing. It's like, no, she's fucking cutting throats. Yeah. Like when she gets rid of that one guy where she brings up something about like, and he gets like offended, like she triggers him and then turns it back on him. Like that is fucking malicious. Mm Mm-hmm. But like there's the other things, it's like she literally saw a girl that she wanted to like fuck mm-hmm. and recognized her shoes during the audition so she could bring her in the orchestra so she could like right. like doing all kinds of like grody manipulative stuff that is like usually given to male protagonists. And I saw one of the complaints like right. how dare you in this day and age have a woman, you know, do things like that? It's like I hate to tell people, but like there's terrible people regardless of gender regardless of race, regardless of religion, there's fucking terrible people. And you got to recognize that like you can make any, a movie about any kind of sort of terrible person. And Lydia Tarr is a fucking piece of shit human being. And that's kind of the point. It's not that you're supposed to empathize. Right,
1: You're she's Travis Bickle. She's Travis Bickle, <laughs>
2: and that was the thing we were talking about. Because you, you know, we didn't talk. You didn't say. You know, you, th- was it,
1: that that was off air? Okay.
2: <laughs> well, it was off air, but we but we should talk about. It. It's a good mm-hmm. point. It's I, like, I
1: just watched uh, Taxi Driver for the first time in many many years, uh, so we were we were just talking about that earlier.
2: Yeah, but the the thing that people seem to misrepresent is that because T- Travis Bickle is front and center, doesn't mean he's the moral compass of the movie. It's just you're observing, like really a not so... You're watching, like, a fucking fucked up person. And, like... I mean, it's just... You know...
1: You're not supposed to feed a cat to an ATM. Yeah. You're not supposed to be that guy. You're not supposed to want to be Lydia Tarr. No. You're not <laughs> Exactly.
2: You're just, like... Just because you're seeing those people, like, you, you know... This, again, with, like... We talked about this before. Like, if you only consume art where everything's safe and, like, everyone's, like, a good person and anyone that's bad... Or morally bankrupt is, like, eradicated or murdered or whatever happens at the end. Or they get their comeuppance. It's, like, it's not how the world works. Yeah. And I think people just, like, can't engage with that stuff. And it's just, like, just because Lydia tar I mean, the movie's called Tar, And it's about Lydia Tar. Mm-hmm. You know? A real person. A real person that isn't real. But <laughs> feels goddamn real. Mm-hmm like right from that fucking Q and A, they start the movie with, that was my favorite thing. Cause like having worked at a the theater and having to sit through like Q and A's like that. Yeah. 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 Totally. It was like, this is too perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of things unpacking that movie. And I think it's probably one of the best movies that's probably been made in the last decade, yeah. if not longer. Like it's, you know, Todd Fields only made like
1: three fucking movies. Yeah. I think all three are masterpieces in their own way. And, and, all three are dark as fuck. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah, he's, he's incredible. He yeah. truly is. I really, I really, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. I wish I could, I wish I was at that fucking screening and, and sat through all three of those films in one day and seen a Q and A with him. I, I damn it. I wish I could have been there. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 I learned, I learned so much. It really did. Just a quick side. Just I fucking, yeah, I, I learned so much at work. It's funny. You know what I mean? And then I just like, I miss these events and go and I find, I always find out, you know, after they happen, what they are Mm -hmm. and do my research. And then I'm bummed that I I miss them, you know? Um, But it's, it's a great education.
2: I mean the the thing is like working a the theater, especially when stuff like that pops up, it's like you know also
1: worked all week, so it's like mm-hmm. by the time and sometimes like, I'm working these events, yeah. you know, stuff like that, so you you can't watch the film, you know, there's only so much you can really take in, um, but you know you were you were familiar with Todd Field before yeah. Tar, you know yeah. what I mean? Whereas I even though these were I don't think they they like won awards, but they were nominated. Oh, he and he, they, he, they got plenty of he. he I think he's but yeah, I. I it's not. I think I know for pretty
2: sure that all three films have been nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like a Kubrick disciple, and yeah. like that's why everything's right. so fucking he, he was, meticulous.
1: He was the piano player in uh, a <laughs> piano player in Eyes Wide Shut.
2: Yeah, so it's like, but it, it it's just weird because like you know I've seen people call this movie like blatant Oscar bait. It's not blatant Oscar bait because like there would be a heroic turn. Yeah, you know it's like character studies in like you know even though it's not real character I think a lot of people are like I don't like biopics it's like dog it's not a real biopic but like that's how powerful it is people yeah. think it's a goddamn biopic yeah. when really it's also kind of a send up of those fucking movies Yeah. because you know most biopics like even if the person's like a piece of shit outside of maybe raging bull where like at the end it's like you don't have any sympathy for like Jake LaMotta he's still a fucking terrible fucking person right Actually, that's probably the better comparison. to yeah. taxi drivers. Yeah, yeah ra- I see that. Tar Raging Bull, mm-hmm. where it's like people that are at absolute career high, getting fucking knocked down a peg, and they they still exist. They're still doing something that they want to do, or in the vein of, but like it's not their idealized life. I'm sure Jake LaMotta wanted to be like the world heavyweight and like retire and like you know popping champagne and all that stuff, and Lydia Tar just being, like, the most beloved and well-known, you know, orchestra conductor, composer, that kind of thing. And they both get fates where, like, isn't that bad? Like, most people would be content with where they're at, but not to them because that's their fate. As you said, the Todd Field quote, it's like it's not the worst thing I think that would happen to Lydia Tarr. It's the worst thing Lydia Tarr would think would happen to Lydia Tarr. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Tarr yet, like... Do yourself a favor and go see it. Like, I, I think probably, and, you know, people will probably argue back and forth because, you know, what you like is subjective. But I think it's an extraordinary movie. And, like, I don't really, when I see movies, I see, like, oh, it's okay. You know, glad I saw this. Like, this is a movie that, like, stayed with me. And I've thought about it every fucking day since I've seen it.
1: I haven't shut up all fucking week about all three of these movies. So yeah. to anyone anyone that could possibly listen to me, they've heard about all three of these films. So, so there you go. So yeah, that's going to wrap up the
2: Cinematic Void podcast on Tar, But <laughs> or, <laughs> or just wrap up the Cinematic Void podcast in general. We got, you know, we'll maybe get that Freddy, Freddy's knockoff episode knocked out at some point this year. You know, stay tuned. If you see it pop up, you know we did it you don't see it popped up means still need to watch those fucking movies but until next time see you in the void
0: all right cut the cards once with your left hand to the left with your left hand the answer is yes yes what the cards say that yes you should stay here You have four votes yes and two votes no. This is the past, the present and the future of the question that you ask. In the past you have been concerned about too many things